Hey, hey! Welcome back to Babu's Frickin' Podcast. Uh, this is our non-toxic Star Wars podcast, and we have been on an overextended hiatus. So when, when I say welcome back, I mean really welcome back. Uh, here, as always, the Jedi Council, starting it off, Grand Moff Mark Valentine... Where have you been, Grand Moff Mark Valentine? A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> we used to podcast about Star Wars, and it's good to do that again, my friend. <laughs> it's good to be with you guys. I missed you. The boys are back. Yes, albeit temporarily, so I think we should explain. Like, <laughs> life gets in the way. We're all dads. We all have careers. Uh, summer was jam-packed with practices and uh, professional obligations. Many of us travel for work. So it's very good to be back here. Uh, we don't know what the set schedule is, but we hope that you enjoy uh, at least this part one of Andor and talking about a show that we're all high on, or I, I believe we're all high on. Well, well, we'll find out in just a moment. Brian, Joe Yazali, welcome back to the galaxy far, far away. I am very happy to be here. Another peek behind the curtain. Like we've we've talked about I mean, it's been we weeks and weeks going, okay, let's do it Sunday. Let's do it Sunday. Hey, guys, it's Sunday, and we did it. I'm proud of us. Yeah, so thank you to our listeners who are back. Apologies to our listeners who've been waiting for us to come back with content. Um, I think l- luckily or unluckily within the hiatus, there hasn't been a whole lot of new Star Wars content. So we would have come up with some really entertaining stuff, I'm sure, but by the same token, we haven't missed a whole lot in the interim other than some announcements here and there. So we're, we're back with a vengeance now, though. Today, we're going to talk about the first seven episodes of Andor. Um, are, we going, are we going seven episodes? Are we counting this past week? I was. I would count, it's too good not to. It's Fair too enough. good not to. Fair enough. Um, and then we're going to have the Jedi Tales that are coming out this week that we will be back for in short order. And then we will do another recap episode for the last half of the season of Andor. So if you like what you hear, like subscribe, hit that bell, whatever the kids tell you to do in order to get your podcast to wherever you listen to your podcast. And most importantly, uh, share with your friends and let them know that the, the boys at Babu are back and we like alliteration. Let's let's get into it, guys. So we're our our longtime listeners know that sometimes we come in with uh, a bit of a set agenda for the show. Sometimes we just wing it, and uh, in the words of Bill O'Reilly, we do it live. Um, I think we're going to be somewhere in the middle today. There's so much to cover, and there's so much that's interesting that I think we just dive into the world and let's start it off with overall impressions. You know, as Brian was saying, it seems like we we love it. Let's 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 use the the Joe Yauza method of uh, Cold Stone Creameries, like it, love it, got to have more of it. Uh, Brian, you, you've, you've given us that methodology, so I'll start with you. It took me a while, um, honestly, to get into it, uh, but now I am at got to have it status. Uh, I think I now kind of know this the format of the storytelling. It took me a while to get used to it. Um, I like watching them in chunks of three, but I couldn't not watch the seventh episode. So um, I am completely caught up to date. I liked it. I loved the third episode. I got to have more of Aldani and the eye and everything else that was four through six. So I, I fall, yeah, gentlemen, I fall somewhere decidedly in the middle. Um, I, it's Star Wars. So let's face it. I'm always going to like it. I'm a true fan of Star Wars. I don't know if this one particularly falls in the gotta have more of it category where with other series, I clamored for the next week episode and I just looked at my calendar wishing away my life as I wanted that next episode to launch. We'll discuss this in greater detail later. I think the release model of this series could have been better and I'll I'll describe exactly what I mean by that. But I I can wait from one week to the next for the new episode. But I really do love what they're doing here. I love the style of it. I love the feel that Tony Gilroy has has created in this universe. And so um, I do love it, but 
But as far as me being crazy bonkers over the moon waiting for it, it is decidedly lower than, say, like a House of Dragon for me right now. I am with Brian on this one. And it's it's interesting, Mark. We, we've kind of swapped here where you were all about Andor going into this. And I was like, do we really need a show about Cash and Andor? And now I'm wholly convinced that we need a show about not just Cash and Andor, but the entire cast of characters that we'll talk about later that have been introduced here. I, I agree with Brian. It was a bit of a slow burn. I, I think that because of the structure that we'll talk about in a minute, it was a little hard to get into. But now that we're in the last three weeks, I have been clamoring for the next week to be there, even though I don't think the episodes do a wonderful job of setting you up with any kind of resolution. Like they're episodic things happen, things change from one place to the next, but the changes are kind of minuscule. And I hated it at first. I was like, come on, give me some sort of payoff. And now I'm actually like, I, I'm so into the characters and what their little little machinations are that I'm, I'm clamoring for the next week because I need that little dose, right? I'm not going to get a big burst. I, I think um, I rewatched part of uh, Kenobi this week and Kenobi is just such a spectacle show. Like every episode was some big spectacle and some big shock around the corner. This is most certainly not that but because they're they're kind of micro dosing us in terms of how things unfold i feel like it it's now got me even more excited for it and it's kind of drips and drabs picking up momentum like it, it intentionally like the this last week was called you know the announcement and it was it was it was kind of like the slow burn that starts to build the momentum of the rebellion and so from here for all we know, we could be off to the races. Um, we've been dancing around it. Let's let's talk about the the tone and the structure of the show. So, you know, as, as Brian said, it's been three episode arcs. So rather than a typical something happens in an episode and you get from point A to point B, it's been set the groundwork in, in a first episode, move the plot along in the second, and then pay off the storyline in the third. So we had... Cash and Andor's evolution from episode one to three in which he enlists and signs up with Luthen to become part of his mission. We don't even know that he's, it's, it's not even that he's necessarily joining the rebellion. There is no rebellion yet. It's that he's, he's picking up paid work that he knows is somehow going to impact the empire. And then our second three episodes are the mission that Luthen has conscripted cast in for and then we've started the next three episode arc where now he's he's on the run and we're seeing the fallout. And I felt like there was actually even more of a real arc throughout the course of episode seven than we'd had in singular episodes beforehand. Um, I'll just kick it off and say it really, really bothered me slash bothers me that we don't get something that truly feels like an episodic resolution but I'm getting to the point where it doesn't bother me anymore because we're already underway. What, do you, of, what are you guys feeling? So, Mike, quick before we move on to anyone making a point, do you think that's because you've now acclimated and you've sort of readjusted your expectations for this show? Or is it okay from a storytelling perspective? No. I, I mean, I, I, it's a bit of both, but I would say it is more... 90% acclimated to the characters and the world and where things are going okay. that I'm okay with it. And 10% that I just can't expect that it's going to pay off. I still hate that you don't get a really strong resolution, See, the, but I'm so invested yeah. in who these characters are. And I know where things are going enough that I'm okay with how the narrative is playing out, but I, I, I would have loved for this to have been dropped as a full season rather than getting it in drips and drabs. Absolutely. So if there was an opportunity for Disney Plus to play with their release model, this, in my opinion, would have been the show to do that with. We know that they have relied on week-to-week drops. They want the water cooler moments. They want people to sit around and talk about each episode. That has been their recipe for success with Mando and with a lot of their Star Wars content 
or their Marvel content. So let's be honest. But this show, artistically, the way that it was written, the way that it has been delivered, in my opinion, does not fit that release model. I think it is horribly planned and that they should have contemplated releasing the entire season, release it in one chunk, and allow people to consume it and then reconsume it if need be. Because it's not that the it's not that the storytelling is bad. It's they have created these artificial breaks and said, okay, we're now 45 minutes into the, the story. We have to stop. We have to you know run the credits and we'll put up another episode next week. And then a lot of times it's very inconsiderate of the storytelling and of the arc. And it quite frankly is jarring. It was great in the first three weeks and we didn't mind it because we got three episodes consecutively released. It was a wonderful movie that... The only thing that was just weird is in the middle of that narrative, we had to put up with titles and 10 minutes of uh, credits again and hit the skip button. It did break the momentum for us and kind of take us out of the story. But this would have been a series that would have greatly benefited if Disney Plus had changed the model by which they released the content. That is my only gripe that I truly have with Andor. Everything else I am really a fan of and I've loved I just cannot for the life of me understand why these artists and these writers and these producers didn't look at this content and go to the executives at Disney Plus and say, hey, listen, we feel that the best method to tell this story is just let's release the whole thing. They had to know that. And for them to not advocate a little bit better, I think, is a dereliction of duty. I I, I mean... I do feel like that there was enough people that liked the first three episodes, but it's not getting people back on a week to week basis. So it's hard to, I just wish they would have released them three at a time. Like that's, that would have been mine. Like get a month's worth three at a time, do it that way. You can have a hybrid, a hybrid model to an extent. But the reason Brian, and I'm coming with the, the cayenne pepper, sorry that I'm so spicy today. The reason that it's not bringing people back I think they know the type of content it is and they know we're not necessarily missing something. We can binge this and get the same benefits because watching it from week to week is very frustrating from a a storytelling perspective. We are very seldom. Thank you, Marky Mark. But we're very seldom, if ever, presented with any kind of resolution in a singular episode. It has taken two or three episodes in order to flesh out whatever we're talking about like you said the first three we were introduced to a young andor and a period of his life where he gets conscripted into a mission then the next three was the mission itself and now it's kidnapped man let's just call it what it is he gets straight up kidnapped by aunt petunia he does it was uh kind of <laughs> like our boy poe dameron right yeah pretty similar actually well let's let's talk about the the tone it is a, it is a markedly different type of storytelling not just structurally but the feel of it the style of the writing I, I would venture to say that it is a much more mature and adult style of writing um i think that goes to tony gilroy for sure yes. who is known for michael clayton and the born series there there's there's a level of sophistication in the dialogue that i think until now has not been heard. And Lawrence Kasdan is a brilliant writer. Like the, the Kasdan star Wars films solo included have, have some of the most delightful dialogue that we will quote until the end of time. Well, but we've also had George Lucas and we've had some, some other stumblers in terms of how to write solid stuff. You know, Favreau obviously I think is somewhere in the middle where it's really exciting and really memorable, but it's not, it's not biting. This feels like, it's on the level of, you know, a, a legit, I'm watching it on HBO, I'm watching it on Amazon Prime, like, could be a British stage play type of stuff. And it's still funny, and it's still interesting, and it's just going so many levels deeper. Uh, you know, this this last week, especially with, with, with episode seven, the Mon Mothma and her her old friend um catching up at their part at, at, at the, her party event i mean there was just there's so much work that these actors are doing on such a level that i don't know that we've even that we've really seen before you know even in gilroy's rogue one where this is obviously piggybacking off of the the visual tone 
and the style of a dialogue. They're presenting the planets in the same way. Um, it's the whole arc is leading towards Rogue One. We know that this whole series is going to end at the Rogue One narrative. Uh, what's what's your takes on it? And then I'll, I'll dive back in. I've been doing a lot of scene setting there. So Tony Gilroy did a wonderful article. Uh, you can check it out online. It was actually back in August, I want to say. Um, it was like movie, movie web. If I'm wrong with that, I apologize. He, he said in the article, which was intriguing to me, this is back in August, and this is actually what kind of set the table for me, knowing just how different it was going to be talking specifically how his work on the Bourne franchise really is going to pay off and is going to influence the tone and the tenor of this particular show. And it's very appropriate to say, and you credited him and said his his work on the Bourne franchise, you know, is what he is best known for. He's brought a lot of Jason Bourne to the Star Wars universe. Like, this is gritty. It's really dark. There's a lot more political intrigue and espionage and... Um, even, you know, talking about surveillance and intelligence, I love like, I, and I'm getting complete and total uh, born vibes from like that council of Imperials where it's like, hey, let's just um, let's assemble and talk about data collection and spying and like, how are we running the empire from an intelligence standpoint? I am like, uh, what's the character's Deidre, right? Yes. Deidre. Dedra. Dedra Miro. That whole, and I, I I don't know how it's going to connect eventually, but I am equally as invested in that whole scenario that's playing out. Well, it's also the first time we've seen the ISB, like in proper. Correct. And it's, it's really interesting. The other thing that, you know, I hadn't really thought about it before we started this conversation and really looking at Gilroy's style, you know, the, it, it is very born in that the born films are very disjointed, right? Like you have everything that's going on internally at the CIA and you've always got, you know, whatever's happening with like David Strathairn and, and um, you know, all of the folks who are like trying to track him down. And then you got born on the road and then you might have another ancillary character who's somewhere in between them. And it's all of these things are disconnected until they finally come together with, Jason Bourne crashing through the front of a casino, right? Like there's there's some there's some way where all these things you don't know how they make sense are going to come back together, and I think that's what we're starting to get here in that we have Miro's journey, you know, trying to rise through the ranks of the ISB, and at the same time being the only one smart enough to get past her ego and look at how to try and take on this burgeoning rebellion. Um, you've obviously got Cashin, you know, the story is about him. Mm-hmm. You've got Luthen, who's the, who's, who's launching the rebellion. You've got Mon Mothma, who is clearly not the defiant face of the rebellion that we have later on. Is she not just convinced. chewing up the scenery too, gentlemen? Can we just not? Oh my God, I love her to pieces. Yeah, can she we is j- incredible. Just not pay homage, uh, to Fiona, or not Fiona Shaw. Uh, no, Fiona Shaw is, uh, yeah, that's Marva. Yeah. Um, What's I I I'm Genevieve so, O'Reilly. Thank you. I I I have I'm sorry, I have Marva on the brain right now. But she is she is so wonderful on screen. Uh the costuming for Mon Mothma is fantastic. I love we, we have uh dubbed her husband Man Mothma and the man that that household. How tense is that household right now and the and the daughter that whole plot line is just dripping with tension. But man, she is just so wonderful to to see on on screen. Well, let's talk about the seventh episode. She she's incredible. Everything with the uh, the banker classmate from school, mm-hmm. like all that was great. But when she went into Luthen's antique shop or whatever he calls it, and says, "Was this you?" I thought she knew about the Aldani thing, and they just weren't putting it into words. Yeah. And she had no idea, and now she is two feet in while she's trying to get financial backing. While they're like, this is what the rebellion is, man. Is it's nine different people doing their own thing until it has to be one. Well, and well, you see what- that in Rogue One as well. So that right. is an aspect of Rogue One that I think plays really prominent 
is just how disjointed the rebellion was. We know that watching Clone Wars, that Saw Gerrera has his own sort of guerrilla style, guerrilla wing of this. Then you have the people who have a lot to lose politically, socially, and financially. Mon Mothma would fit into that situation. Uh, you know, you know, even over over in uh, you know when you look at um, oh gosh, <laughs> I am horrible with names right now. Bail Organa. Bail Organa is also in that camp where. There's just a lot financially and politically at stake. There is nothing united about the rebellion at this point, and everyone is pulling in 10 different directions. And uh, I don't know what the event is going to be that at least starts to get this to coalesce, but I think that's going to be what is resolved in this show. I think that's what we're leading towards. It's part of it. I mean, that's so the the thing that, that I'm one of the things I'm there's so many. One of the things I'm really enjoying about it is there there's a real there's a real arc and real stakes for all of these characters. Like, again, it goes back to like, what do we know that we, we come back to this with every Star Wars thing we talk about. What are the stakes going to be like? We know that Cassinandor is not going to die here because he's going to die on Scarif. We know that Mon Mothma is not going to die here because she's going to live on and lead the New Republic. But they have all of these other pieces with them and we are seeing that they are not the people that we know them from later. Cassian Andor right now is he's a gun for hire. Like he hates the, all we know right now is he hates the rebellion. He doesn't have to go far to be radicalized, but he is not the true believer that we see in rogue one. Mon Mothma is not the defiant face of the rebellion. She is in a clandestine manner, channeling funds to all of these other groups. And to your point, the rebellion is not the rebellion. Like even in Rogue One, it felt like there was the mainstream rebellion and it felt like there was Saw Gerrera. And what we're finding out here now is there are pockets of groups all over the place that are somehow building themselves together. Some are more radical than others in terms of what their approaches are. And I, I, I mean, it's even with Mon Mothma, it's, it's that she's dealing with separatists who she is trying to bring back into the fold and we're going to see the events that ultimately radicalize some folks and enjoin others in order to make the rebellion work. It's, it's fascinating to see that there is, there's just so much more complexity and interest there. And so the stakes don't necessarily become about whether they live or die. It's the world around them and what the impact of their action or inaction is. Gents, we've been introduced to a lot of characters. Mike, to piggyback off that, just a quick poll uh, I mean, Mon Mothma is obviously a fan favorite, so no cheating. You can't use her again. Uh, is there a character or a person that you have really gravitated towards? And maybe they're not even with us anymore. I, I have one decidedly that I'm just, I need more of this character. Uh, anyone stand out to you that you're just like, I need more of this person as we go on? Luthen. Yeah. Scarsgard has nailed this role. When he like when he did his thing in the third episode, but then he like transformed into a different person with his with his robes and his wig and this guy and everything he has in his shop and the way he utilizes his shop to build his network and to finance whatever's going on. Very, very interesting to me. And is it Alexander Skarsgård? No, that's his kid. Stellan. Stellan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just he's very interesting to me and he was not interesting to me until he got to Coruscant like I actually wasn't that interested until we got to his shop in Coruscant well that's probably because he used the uh the, the time stone on you man he just choo, touched you with it Tesseract turns you oh turns you into a fan <laughs> Mike you got a favorite uh I've got a couple. I mean, unfortunately, a couple of them are gone. So I, I'm definitely all in on Luthen, and I enjoy that he's he's living this double life that is that is really fascinating. But I, I'm bummed that Skeen took you know, took took a took a laser a, la a blaster shot. Yeah, yeah. Um, he and now granted, this is a a real name, but he deserves uh, real. Eben Moss Bacharach, the actor. Who's, his name sounds like it could be a Star Wars name. He's from the I, Bear. He's from the Bear. He is from. Uh, he's from the Punisher. He's he's remarkable in the Punisher. Um, 
I love him as an actor and I'm disappointed that he's gone. And I thought that he was a really interesting character. So, oh, he totally, he totally deserved to, to, to get blasted. Um, but I'm, I miss that. We're not going to have more skiing. I was really hoping that we'd get more of him in the show. I agree with you. I'm totally bummed out on him. I was high so I'm on, bummed out on him. I'm bummed. I mean, you knew that he was going to bite it, but I'm bummed that we lost Nemec. I, I really like the, the, the pie in the sky philosopher who's basically written the playbook. You know, he is, he is the Thomas Paine of the galactic rebellion. And I'm bummed that, you know, he got crushed by a million Republic credits and he's or you know imperial credits. <laughs> what a way to die! What a way to go! Literally, you know, it's it's you know we got the money. <sighs> I got the money. So I'm bummed that Skeen's gone. I was, I mean, you knew he was gonna bite it, but it was. He's just such an he's just such an interesting character, and you often don't see again. You don't see the philosophers behind the rebellion. Yeah, and so I'm I'm bummed that he's gone. Uh, I think those are probably my biggest favorites among the bunch. I'm I'm waiting for the moment that Cyril becomes more interesting. So like, I'm going to join Mike on the, I'm going to cheat as well. Brian understood the assignment and he gave us a true one. Mike and I are going to cheat. I'm going to cheat as well. So for me, it's about the ladies. There's two female characters in specifically that I just, I want to see more of. Cinta is really great. I love that story. Don't know what is happening there with Yeah, her. what's going on? They just left her there. They just left her there, and I don't know why, but, like, her story is clearly not done on that planet. But holy cow, she she was amazing to watch. And then her partner in crime, Vel. I need more Vel. And those two characters in my opinion, are being criminally underutilized in the show. And I get it. It's an ensemble cast. You can't just feature these two women. But man, if they aren't amazing to watch in the in those four, five, and six, if the two of them aren't compelling, especially in six, like those two women running point were pretty incredible. So give me more of the two of those women doing their thing and kicking you know what at, out in the galaxy. So I know I cheated. I cheated too, Mike. I chose to. No, I, I mean I think it's entirely fair. I mean the the characters popped in and out. I mean one of the things I wanted to ask you guys about is the cast for this show is decidedly human. Mm-hmm. So I think there have been you know there have been aliens here and there. We saw lots of aliens when when uh, Andor ends up on 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 Nymos this week, and there was the forearm doctor who tried to save. Uh, Nemec, who I thought was a really nice surprise, but there have been very few aliens and very few droids. We've seen a couple here and there, and there's obviously, you know, B2 Emo, but, like, is it strange to you that we are getting such a profoundly human side of the Rebellion here when what I I thought was at least neat in Rogue One was that it was very clear that there there were a lot of aliens involved in the Rebellion, um, and we know that they would be the among the first who'd want to rebel because there's such a a fascist and racist human society that's established through the, through the empire. Mike, now that you bring that up, it's actually fascinating because I don't think I noticed the lack of diversity in terms of the the universe and the casting in the universe. There really are not a lot of alien species introduced in this show, and we only this was the second week that really we really had droids. You had the B2 emo, but you see the K2 units for the first time. I think that again, tonally, maybe that's another reason why this feels and looks so different. There's, there's diversity and there's, there isn't diversity in the show. It is very pointed on almost, you know, on humanoid characters. We haven't had a lot of alien species and I haven't even, you saying that was like a, an epiphany for me, not realizing that it is tonally very different from what we're accustomed to in Star Wars. I mean, like specifically Boba Fett, like Book of Boba Fett was filled with all kinds of exotic characters in, in Mos Espa. This is the opposite of that. Isn't B2 Emo's name a little too on the nose? <laughs> yeah. So maybe, I- but he's also wonderful. I, I do think, you know, we, we, we may be a bit droid deprived, but he, I, I enjoy him as a character. So like- Brian, you said this to me and now I'm seeing conflicting reports. So 
I, I don't know. Can we can we have a little discussion on this quickly? So Alan Tudyk says that he's not in season one of this show. However, almost every single cast list that I've seen from IMDb anywhere else has Alan Tudyk listed as a credit for I think season cast one. List, I think those cast lists were made a really long time ago because originally he was reported to be in the first season. Like I, he didn't. He clearly didn't voice the one we've seen either, which. I want to talk about that beach scene. Like, was that a flashback? Because it didn't make sense where it fit in. No, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a flashback. So after he went back to Ferrix and, and then, but anyway, that wasn't Alan Tudyk's voice. He wasn't the voice of those K2 droids on that planet either. Um, which the score for that planet is really good, by the way, that was everything was so great about that. So that's, uh, I've seen it referred to as space, Florida, (laughs) <laughs> I've seen it. I've, I've seen it referred to as uh, the sandals of the Star Wars galaxy. Um, but that that was the most alien, yeah, uh, the most alien planet there was, where we saw every type of humanoid and non-humanoid sitting out on the beach, catching some catching some tan. Um, the soundtrack on that was amazing. The look of it was amazing because it was, you know, the only other beach planet we've ever had was Scarif, and this was decidedly not Scarif. It was a little bit more high end, but not quite as high end as Canto Bite. So again, it was like if if Canto Bite is is like Monaco, you know this this only got about as far as like this is like <laughs> insert, insert, not even that, like Boca. Like it's not even the nice part of Miami or anything. Insert clip of Michael Scott just singing. I got two tickets to paradise. Uh, so Mark, to answer your question, it could be an okie doke, but I really, if we get K2 in season one, I think it's in the finale. I don't think he's coming this season. I don't think that they would lie about that. Well, I don't expect him in, in multiple episodes. If nothing else, I just expect him to be teased or just a very small part of maybe the finale. I want to see their, I want to see their relationship kind of blossom. How many seasons have they committed to this show? It's weird because they said three. And then at D23, they said a 24-episode story. We're getting like, 12. They make 36 to 24. Like, I, 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 they, originally, it was, it, originally, it was five. Then it was three. And then at D23, they said two. So, I don't know. How are the, ra- I, I, how are the ratings for this show? Do you think the ratings are? High. Have- They're very high. Is that is it's, that how K two says it? No, they're they're in the eight. Like everything on IMDb is eight point or higher. I just don't think a lot of people are watching it yet. That is that is the what what I think Disney drives their metric on is not the critical rating of things. I think Disney drives their metric on how many subscriptions is a show like this giving us when compared with the cost of production and. While it is decidedly or seemingly lower budget than some of the other Star Wars projects that I think we've seen, who knows? I mean, it looks like is, there's a lot of practice. I was I think, just no, say. I mean, that was actually something I wanted to talk about is like, is it though? Like, I love how much practical effects work there is on this show. Like, that's not to say that the work that's been done in the volume hasn't been exquisite. The The work in the volume is absolutely stunning, but... I have loved that there have been some some planets and some scenes that they just knew that they couldn't get in a studio and they actually went out and shot for this. I've loved that again, it's got that same practical gritty feel of Rogue One that was trying to get the original practical gritty feel of the original film so that it feels all very connected. I, I, I like all the practical set, set and prop pieces that they've built. I mean, uh, Cyril's mother, um, Edie, what what a, what a perfect name for like a grading critical mother. Edie's kitchen with all of the like old school sixties and seventies appliances and like the old school seventy television seventies television set where they watch the news report come in uh, about the Aldani attack. Mm-hmm. It's it. I feel like I'm in there, and it's one of the first times that I feel like we are truly in the world for an extended period of time of what these people have lived through. And it's always been like popping in and out on these adventures, but we've never actually seen what is it like to be 
a civilian in the depths of Coruscant. Also, you know, what is, what it, is it like to be, you know, a third going party, on vacation? Yeah. Also, what is it like to be a third party contracted security detail <laughs> filling the void where the Empire really just doesn't want to mess around? That was a pretty fascinating aspect of it, too, because in the first three episodes, I'm like, who are these guys? They're just so, they're hired help. They're like security guards that are patrolling your local strip mall or, you know, <laughs> or mall to kind of keep the peace and, you know, call the police in case of anything that's really gone bad. I love how you just turned Cyril into Paul Blart. I did. Like that's, well, that's come on, man. Cyril is Paul Blart. Mine. Mine. Where do mine we cop. think, where do we think this is headed with Cyril? Because a lot of people I have keep describing him things I've read. They're describing as, as a conflicted person. And I don't think it's that no. at all. No, I think he's got so much, drive and ambition to be at the top of the empire correct i think that's what he's destined for i would be shocked I also think his uncle is the guy in the isb room like they haven't shown them in the same room together no, but no. it's not him. Okay. there is only one turn from uh, from bad to good that would shock me more and that would be general hux in the rise of skywalker gentlemen <laughs> if cyril all of a sudden just if Cyril, I'm the spy. Yeah, if Cyril all of a sudden just like turns from his cubicle and goes, I'm a rebel, then it could kind of be on that level. Anyone who's saying that he's conflicted, I don't think that you're watching the show correctly. I, he's I just, just don't see it. People I don't keep see it. saying he's conflicted and he's not. No, like, I'll, he's, I'll play contrarian to you guys. I don't think he's conflicted. I'm just wondering if the longer he spends in the system radicalizes him. I could be very wrong. It could be like, and, and you know, Mark, you and I have talked about this online. Yes. It very much could be that, you know, he gets conscripted by, by Miro and he ends up climbing the ranks and becoming a total slime ball. And he's like the mirror of Andor where Andor, be, you know, Andor climbs the ranks of the rebellion and Cyril climbs the ranks of the empire. But I could very much see that he's like, he starts to understand that the order and monotony and is actually, no. you know, oppression and that maybe he ends up turning. Gentlemen, there's only one place that it's going to go. You heard it here from me. If I'm wrong, I'll buy you both beers. So De Dedra is an up and comer and, and she's rising quickly through the ranks. She is all about efficiency. She's going to go back and she's going to investigate this. And she's going to find a very dejected and bored Cyril sitting in his cubicle aspiring for more, wanting to do more. He's a stickler for procedure. He and Dedra are perfect bedfellows. They, they are going to understand and love each other, and she is going to pluck him from his mundane role in that job, and the two of them will rise meteorically through the ranks of the, the Empire. He is meant, Cyril is meant to be the opposite, an equal force of Andor's rise in the rebellion. These two men are going to rise in opposite ends of the spectrum. Cyril is being groomed to be the foil of this show. And as Andor is becoming more the rebel, ever more the rebel, this guy is going to become ever more the Imperial. Every single piece of this guy oozes, I want to be in the club. He wants to be an Imperial in the worst possible way. And now Dedra is going to offer him that perfect opportunity and recognize the potential in this guy who had... The, the eye for the details to realize that there was a rebellion at play even before anyone else. Bank on it. If I lose, I'll buy you beers. Oh, you're, I, I, think, I think you nailed it. Also, did you know that the actor of Ben Bailey Smith, who played Lieutenant Supervisor Blevin, the one that has it out for Dedra, did you know he's an English rapper and he goes by the name of Doc Brown? Because that's awesome. Great, Scott! <laughs> So anyway, I, I that do fact think just that hit me the, like a bolt of lightning. The infighting that does happen within the ISB. Um, it took me a minute to get on board with Dedra, uh, but I'm I'm there now again. I I'm with you, Mark. I think she's going to find because he like he wouldn't hold Cassian's picture and just stare at it unless he just massively hates the guy. Like so, that's going to be that's going to be the most interesting interesting thing in there for me. What I do wonder that we may see. Because we did see this past week was um, Admiral, is it Yularen? Yularen, yeah. Yep. Yularen, yeah. So um, he, we know him from Rebels. Egg. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, let me get to it. Yeah, Colonel Yularen from New Hope. 
Uh, I'm a but, huge fan of that. As a former fan of the Star Wars collectible card game, Colonel Yularen was one of the many cards that you would always be like, I don't even know who this dude is. And they, they would have all of them. So he's so that's interesting. I also was reading when we tie things in that everything that happened in Aldani or on Aldani was the entire reason for the Imperial occupation of Lothal, which is where we start with Star Wars. Really? Mm-hmm. So it's it's basically their overreaction, and it's probably what Dedra and Cyril are doing and sniffing out the rebellion, and that's what is kind of the cause for the Imperial occupation on Lothal, which is interesting. Um, so I do think of characters we've seen in the past, it's not very like Star Wars because we're not doing a lot of connecting to things we have in the past before. I do think we're going to come across a younger agent Callus, or not even younger really, but I do think we'll come across Callus at some point within this show, which well, but would be- but you you bring up some good points. So I think that we can we can peck out a, a number of little mudhorn eggs and things that are just kind of interesting and fun that have picked that have come through. But I think the Lothal connection is one that I didn't know, but there's a very big rebels connection that has been teased out through Mon Mothma's uh, plot line which is the Gorman Massacre. So she uh, she has been advocating for the Gormans in the empty Senate, which I thought was a remarkable scene when she is arguing with her husband, Man Mothma. Um, she says something about, well, maybe you should ask some Gormans about that. So she's been advocating for this, this former separatist planet that is being um, abused by the Empire. And ultimately, there is a an incident where there are protesters on Gorman who will not clear a landing pad when when Governor Tarkin is coming to the planet, and Tarkin lands his spaceship on top of them. And it's called the Gorman Massacre, and it is in Rebels. It is indicated that that is the the final inciting incident that gets Mon Mothma to publicly come out and speak against Palpatine, and she escapes with the cast in Rebels in order to then go on and lead the rebellion. Um, that's a huge, important Mudhorn egg. And I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of speculation about, is that going to lead in this arc where we're actually going to get the Gorman Massacre, whether we end up seeing Tarkin or not, as a, as a major incident within the series? I I was really surprised this past week to find Mon Mothman not all the way there yet, that we're really building the story of Mon Mothma getting to that point. Um, now obviously she's, she's all in as far as getting that guy to financially back them, which is most important of what she can do, but for her to be able to put everything in her life at risk, I think they're doing a really good job at telling that story. Absolutely. I never, I don't, I don't know that Gorman thing well much at all. So that's really interesting to me. I would love to see that. Do you, Mike, do you think we're going to see Tarkin at some point in this show? I'd love to. I, I, I think that there are a number of characters that would be really interesting to see again, especially if we're considering the connectivity between this and Rogue One. Like, it would be really interesting to see Tarkin or to see Krennic or to see um, any, of the, any of the other pieces that kind of start to, to, to build that through. Tony you know, Gilroy has said that there's 30 major roles within this show and 190 speaking parts. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it was so, I mean, even if it, even if Tarkin just got name dropped with the Gorman massacre, I think it would be a big deal, but I, there, there are, as you mentioned, there are the people from rebels that it would be interesting to see if there was little crossovers here and there from some of those folks. Um, I hope so. I think it would be nice. Like, I think that they've done a really nice job of building a new, an entirely new cast of characters while still paying homage to what's been there. But it, it begs a bigger question. I think that, that, that we've been dancing around as well, which is, is this star Wars? Yes. I think it's star Wars because I think it gets down to the very heart of what star Wars was born from, which is science fiction at its purest form. I mean, we, we have come to understand and embrace Star Wars as the pageantry that that it is now. But if you look at A New Hope and you go to the very the, the very heart of what A New Hope was and the simplicity of that movie, 
yes, New Hope took science fiction and it added the spectacle. It was it was like pop music for for sci-fi. And that's what made it so different. But the very base elements of A New Hope were very much rooted in the genre of science fiction. To me, this show has kind of returned to those roots of the 60s and 70s, paying homage to true science fiction and to franchises and films that have stood the test of time in the genre. We haven't even gotten into all of those various aspects in those films, but like almost immediately I was hitting with, with that Blade Runner vibe and I was all about it saying artistically and stylistically how much a Blade Runner I can see in this film, even in the, um, the cadence and the delivery of dialogue, how sparse this show gets in times of just without saying anything on screen in terms of dialogue, there are the the words are, are there. The the landscapes speak to us about the state of the universe and, and what what is going on in the state of play. That is so true to the genre. And there is a dystopian feel to the this world as well. And it's brilliantly done. Like you know, we could get into the the Easter eggs, and I know that we were just doing mudhorn eggs, but this um, let's talk about like the surplus. Can we talk about the the Clone War surplus? That you know that um, that security detail are coming down to the planet to deal with Andor in like leftover clone transport. You have patrolling the streets. We don't know what that cutaway was, where the his friend was seemingly executed. But those were clone troopers. So there's lots of, um, you know, there, there are lots of brilliant ways that it's pulling together the Star Wars universe that we know through like little mud horns and little Easter eggs like that. But at the same time, it's setting its own style and it's putting itself back in a genre that Star Wars well sprung from. And it's doing something that we already know, but doing it in a way that is unique to Star Wars. But to answer your question, man, yes, this is Star Wars and perhaps done more elegantly than we've ever seen before. Brian, does it feel like Star Wars to you? It does. They do a they do a plenty in in establishing it within that world. It does not feel like anything we've seen before, but that doesn't mean we can't break out of the confines of what Star Wars is, which is the entire point of what this show is trying to do. So if it's, I don't see a single laser sword, I'd be happy, Bry. Uh, I mean, yeah, I don't think we're going <laughs> to see a lightsaber. I would love to see a lightsaber, but there's no context in which we would see a lightsaber. So. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I... See Vader. Um, tying it to Rogue One, I don't want to see Vader. I do want to see Krennic. I, do, I would like to see Tarkin. I would like to see all the red tape bureaucracy of the Empire, but I don't want to see... Like, there's no mention of the force, and I'm completely fine with that. And why you, would we into this show, though? Like, is you put it in the Star Wars galaxy yeah. and you tell a completely different story? Like, I'm, yeah, like it's absolutely Star Wars. And why would we see Vader at this point? Because now we've also been given a, a look at what he is doing in this time period, that his hands are preoccupied. He and the Inquisitors are preoccupied with hunting force users. He really doesn't care about this low level rebellion. To him, this is so wholly unimportant. He's still trying to find Obi-Wan. He's still trying to find force users. This kind of this kind of little minutia doesn't even concern him. It's so below him at this point. Yeah, I, I think to your point, Mark, about this coming from the genesis of the original Star Wars, his dialogue may be clunky, but George Lucas as a world builder is remarkable absolutely the, the the amount of detail that went into a popcorn film right i mean to your point star wars is a pageant you know a new hope is a pageant yeah but there is such detail in those in in that film that there are there are one-off lines that have been able to inspire entire franchises within star wars there's the you know i fought with your father in the clone wars oh my god what are the clone wars we didn't find out what the clone wars were for 30 years um there are lines about the, the the emperor has dissolved the Senate and, you know, the, the regional governors and, and this battle station will keep the systems in line. Well, now we're understanding how all of those political machinations broke apart and we're seeing that, yeah, there's a popcorn film there, but there's an actual real 
to your point, dystopian society that's underpinning all of this that has ultimately produced a rebellion. Mm -hmm. And I, it's, I, I love that we are actually seeing what it is to live and breathe in that universe that then justifies those moments of glory and joy when we actually do get a new hope. I mean, that's, that's literally what Luke is. It's a burst of hope from this incredibly dark period of time. Yeah, the, the writing of the show is just brilliant. And there's there are little things, again, we could probably spend entire episodes or just hours talking about the details in the writing. Um, there's, uh, there's a foreshadowing that's done in that Kyber necklace that Luthen gives to Cassie and Andor, like the down payment. So like that blue Kyber necklace, there's so much like this. It's just dripping with significance and symbolism. Obviously, like we look at it, we're like, oh, my God, it's a Kyber crystal. It's it's a lightsaber. But lest we forget, it's also the power system for the Death Star. How much like how that foreshadowed, (laughs) like being strung around his neck, it's foreshadowing the way that Cassian is going to die. And the like little writing bits and tidbits and those juicy bits of this script, there are so many moments like that that are just filled with poetry that if you, you know, if we wanted to do them all, guys, we only, you know, we're only devoting an hour to podcasts to do this, but there are so many pieces of writing in the show and there are a lot of choices like the, the, the egg, you know, the, the Easter eggs and the, and the mudhorn eggs. There are so many nods to, again, George Lucas's epic that, you know, again, we're in our forties. We've said this now, how many times it continues to draw us in. It doesn't matter yeah, speak for yourself in our forties. <laughs> right, we got the youngster here. Uh, yeah. But yeah. It, the, the, the youngling over there. It continues to draw us in regardless of our age. It continues to draw us in. How's that, Brian? Is that better? So we, when we talk about, is it star Wars? Is it not star Wars? I've got two things that grounded in Star Wars for me that I'm curious if you guys had thoughts on. Well, one is is a simple observation that I know you guys are going to agree with me, and it was what the eye was on Aldani and how just gorgeous the, all those shots were. It really reminded you of, man, Star Wars has some really cool cinematic moments. It was gorgeous. It was absolutely gorgeous, and they did a, they did a good job of tying it in. It had kind of the stakes that, Again, we know and it's a good way to compare it to with Solo is is what the Kessel Run was. Um, it, it had those stakes to it. It kind of had that feel to it. I did come into this show saying, OK, we know Mon Mothma is going to live. We know Cassian's going to live. Does it have stakes, which is what we talk about with Solo as well. I'm feeling those stakes when it comes to the opposite side of what's going to happen with Cyril. What's going to happen with Dedra? What's going to happen here? What causes the downfall of the Senate. Um, I'm still really interested in Mon Mothma Snorri, even though I know she makes it all the way to Return of the Jedi. Um, but just the way that the way the eye was filmed and the way we saw that was gorgeous, really made it feel like Star Wars to me. The other thing, and I want to get your guys' opinion on it, um, is do you think that Luthen, because he had that kyber crystal, how do you think he came across that kyber crystal? Did it ever cross your mind that he could potentially be Force-sensitive? I totally agree with you about the spectacle. I think we get really nice moments of spectacle, like Dimos is a spectacle, the eye is a spectacle. Um, there, there's, there's definitely still some elements of big, big flashy Star Wars that we're getting in there. So I, I would agree with you on that. I don't know that Luthen is force sensitive. I think he it's has an so interesting many other things in his possession. I would assume you could just also get a kyber crystal yeah i I think he's as a a collector of antiquities as it were you know that's how i take it Mm -hmm. you know more more mudhorn eggs but you know he's he's got he's got sith armor in his shop he's got a um a mask from you know the the guardians of the jedi temple um he's he's got other warrior garb in there from he's got a a, uh not boffin sorry gungan he's got a gungan shield from Phantom Menace sitting in there. You know, I think he's just got access to a whole bunch of different stuff. Um, Boy, it would be neat if he was force sensitive, but I just, I I find it hard to to believe that he would be hiding in plain sight so much. Do you know he also has Indiana Jones's whip in his back room? I did not realize the whip was in the back room. I know that there was, there was a, um, I believe it was one of the Temple of Doom 
Idols, I believe, is in the shop. Okay. I wouldn't doubt if he doesn't have Tanley or Tavon on speed dial. <laughs> That's how he got the Kyber Crystal, Brian. Magnificent. Kalima. Yeah, I don't know that he's force sensitive, but that would be pretty nifty if, you know, all the way out of nowhere, you know, it's it's not even that he has some sort of big display. He just kind of Jedi mind tricks somebody. Yeah. Like, it'd be really I, fun if, like, you just see his hand, like, the littlest bit move over a table while he's talking, and it's 20 credits will do. I do feel like do. If, he, if he turned out to be force sensitive, a bunch of people would actually get upset by that, because why does it always have to be this? Why does it always have to be that? So I think they'll make a point to make him not force sensitive. It was just something that crossed that crossed. Yeah. yeah. Well, but we also established, and I think you guys pointed this, Mark pointed this out with the Kyber earlier. I mean, Kyber plays such a, a central role in Rogue One, not just because of its spiritual and, and play as a, as a piece of, of Jedi culture, but it it's the most powerful substance there is. It powers the Death Star and it's extremely valuable. And there's the Kyber necklace that, that Jin wears that she's given by her father. So, you know, he he may very well be in, involved some some other way in terms of mining Kyber to, to to be able to get that. So to that end, gentlemen, where are we going with the remaining episodes of this show? I want to be clear. When I said he had the whip, the whip was in carbonite. That's where the whip is. So when you oh, go back, cool. Well, yeah, there are those little carbonite slabs that are hanging there. I just realized I didn't make that part clear, but the whip is there because it's frozen in carbonite. What was your question, Mark? I was just saying, where are we going? Because we have five more episodes. Where do, where does Andor take us for the remainder of this uh, season? I'm still not convinced that the beach wasn't between episode one and him being kidnapped by Aunt Petunia. Like, I still think that we could be fleshing out more of Cassian's backstory without really telling us. No, I I don't know because he's he's picked up by by Clem and by Marva when he's a child, right? But then he could have left and then came back. I I I don't know. Like it just it was. Uh, so... He's got all the money, but he's got. But he's it's it's like he's 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 there and he gets all the money and he's he's got. We're done with flashbacks then. I don't know that we're done with flashbacks, but I, I think I, I find it to be just an incredible trip up. And, and I think, again, part of his radicalization story, if like, I don't know if they're going to like, is he going to stay in prison for six whole years? But like, it's quite a story to think that it's like, I hate the rebellion, but I'm not going to do anything about it to I'm going to kill every one of these Imperials that I can and take this thing down. So yeah, I, I wonder if part of him being thrown into prison is just a harder radicalization of him. We, we need him to be more radicalized because the guy we have now is still not the guy we have at the beginning of Rogue One. Yeah, but the guy that, don't forget, the guy that we have at the beginning of Rogue One is filled with regret. He's not exactly happy with the choices that he's made in service of the Rebellion. And he even says the things that we've done. It, he, but he doesn't question himself in Rogue One like I think he still is. Like he said, give me my 200000 I'm leaving whatever you guys are, what you are. He has enough principle that he didn't take the 40 million, but um, he's still in rogue one. He's all in. And right now he's not all in. And part of that's because the rebellion doesn't exist yet, but Petunia. And again, I apologize. What is her actual name? Marva. Marva. Marva's all in. Like, even though the rebellion doesn't exist when her speech about her staying on that planet, I thought was, was Wait, brilliant. Who's I thought Petunia? that was, She's Aunt Petunia. She's Harry Potter's oh, aunt. Oh, oh, I, I was lost. I'm like Fiona Shaw. <laughs> like who is Petunia? We're we're crossing. Okay, we're fine. We're crossing franchises. Thank we're you. Crossing gentlemen. the stream. Speaking of crossing the streams, Harrison Ford's in the MCU now. Um, but they. So I mean, I just I don't know. He doesn't because I'm with you. He has regret. He doesn't love the person that he is, but he's all in on the rebellion, and we're not there yet. So we know we're going to close that gap between now. And when this series ends, how quickly are they going to accelerate that? I'm not 100% sure. Now, uh, in addition to, gentlemen, don't forget, while Alan Tudyk is somewhat conflicted and we don't know if Alan Tudyk is going to appear or not, uh, people have said since the beginning, Forrest, Riddick, Forrest Whitaker... Well, he's in the trailer. Is you the took trailer. the words out of my mouth. I was just about to ask if you guys think that maybe Saw Guerrero breaks him out. Yeah, so Forrest Whitaker is in the trailer and 
it, it has all, almost all signs pointing to will be a part of the on-screen action at some point or another in this season. I would say sooner rather than later, he's going to play prominent. And I would, you know, and Mike, you just said it. I, I think that he's likely going to break him out of, of this penal system and that both he and Jin Urso are going to have very similar arcs, whereas what we see happens to her in uh, in Rogue One, we're going to kind of see a, a version of that happening to Cassian and maybe other compatriots who are broken out of that Imperial prison complex system and and spirited away to join some uh, some rogue rebellion. Yeah, I, I'm at a loss as to where this is fully going. I mean, I, I, I agree with you guys. I think we're going to get Deidre and Cyril somehow connecting and that, that investigation will continue. Um, I don't know how far down the road they're going to go in terms of Mon Mothma's are stepping into the light. Are we going to get that this season or is it going to be for some other time? Um I just hope they don't delay things too much because to the point that you made earlier, Brian, about we went from it's a five-season epic to it's a three-season arc to now is it maybe two seasons. I don't I would be so heartbroken if this thing left us hanging. So it's like get it far enough along that if it ends up being 24 of the most amazing episodes you've ever seen all put together, that we can walk out of this thing by the end of 2023, 2024 and know that we've had a complete story and that we didn't, we didn't get hung up with some awful cliffhanger gentlemen over under on the phrase. Oh my God, it's Cassian Andor being voiced at some point or another in the season as they're watching surveillance footage. <laughs> Does he knock out at like an Imperial surveillance camera? And then we get some random Imperial go. Oh my God, that's Cassian Andor. He has a long way to go to be the Star Wars versus a Jason Bourne for me. Zero, yeah, zero percent, but I'm I'm rooting for it. There's yeah, there's one 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 complaint I have about the show that we did not talk about. The Andor title card is 35 seconds too long for every episode. <laughs> it takes so long. To circle back to my point, the way that they the release model of this show should have been rethought. That 35-second title card, along with the 10 minutes of credits that we get at the end of every episode, really breaks the momentum for well, me. Well, the 10, the 10 minutes of credits, like, there's nothing you can do. Like, if you're going to put this in that many languages, like, everybody deserves to be credited for the work they're doing. So that one, like, I'll let slide. But the title card is way too long, and it's never the, it's never different. So they need they also need to give us the skip recap option. Like, I don't want the recaps. Can we um, get rid of that Shinsey Star Wars? Whatever the one is that precedes that with the, the red and blue. I don't mind that one. I don't, I don't mind like that one. Oh my, oh, my gosh, guys. Like, the, like Sorry. No, Karen I like- 1 and Karen 2 here. My hey, goodness. While we're no. on the topic, Brian. <laughs> but um, my other, my other, what was my other complaint, Mark? I don't know. I, I. <laughs> No, it's not really a complaint, but the I will food say is that. terrible in such small portions. He is the title character. He's probably fifth on the list for me that I'm most interested in. There's other storylines. Like, obviously, they're all one big storyline, but there's other characters. Mon Mothma topping the list of kind of my my characters that I'm most excited we check in with. And then Luthen. And then I'm, I'm still curious what's going on with Cinta. Like, she was just completely cool to just stay on the planet and get captured, basically. Um, so that's interesting. Like, there are other characters that I'm far not far more invested in, but I'm also invested in, which gives this a whole nother element of there's always something interesting happening at all points in the story, no matter where we're at. So that is another reason why I got all in on this show after really dedicating myself to just sit there, watch it. Then I got sucked in. I, I think, you know, he may be the title character, but not the only character. I think, I think that's part of his, his arc is the arc of the rebellion. And all of these activities are kind of coming and going through him. So yeah. uh, I agree with you. It's a little strange not to have it be so focused on him. You know, Dexter is about Dexter. Um, but I think what's interesting is it's it's his, his arc is going to mirror the arc of the formation of the rebellion. And ultimately, it, it, it goes from him being totally selfish to being entirely selfless on 
the sands of Scarif because we like our alliteration. So I'm excited to see where it goes. We've got Tales of the Jedi coming up this week in between so we can get together on that. Maybe we finally do our, uh, our Rogue One episode and dive deep on Rogue One now that we have the show around us. So we've got, again, we're, we're back to having no lack of Star Wars content. So if you like what you hear, again, please like, subscribe, share the podcast, tell your friends the boys are back in town. Um, anything further from my, uh, my fellow Jedis on the council here? Anything else that you want to share before we, we depart and consume the next five episodes of Andor? I like Andor. I am still watching Tales of the Jedi before I watch episode eight of Andor on Wednesday. I am very excited for Tales of the Jedi this week. Bold move, Cotton. Let's see how it pays off for him. It's got Ahsoka and a young Qui-Gon Jinn and Dooku. Clone Wars animation. I am in. Count Dooku. Well, again, thank you all for listening. Fellas, thanks for getting back together. Let's, uh, Let's do this again real, real soon. But until then... May the force be with you. Always. Always.